Welcome to episode 93 of Honestly Unbalanced, chatting to more people that have tried to make your life a little bit better. And that person this week is Maud Hurst, who's the founder of the bespoke meditation company Energy Rise, which specializes in making meditation accessible to all. Maud is an actor, best known for a role as Helga in Vikings, and now she's a leading meditation practitioner based in London and runs a virtual members club for the mind, a meditation app, and wellness retreats. She teaches meditation and energy healing globally, and her classes deliver an empowering internal experience, encouraging people to find personal well-being to improve both mental and physical health. So, what do we chat about? We chat all about Meditation, of course, from lots of different angles, from how to do it, from the different styles. Uh, We talk spiritual bypassing. And then we talk a little bit about how working towards self-love can leave you more open to actually find love with someone else. We talk about shifting careers and how a shift in mindset can help you change actually how you see yourself. And the best dinner party question to ask instead of what you do for work. Maud and I and Holly are both teaching at the Soul Circus Festival. Uh, I think that's the 18th to 20th of August. Uh, It's in the centre of the UK near Cheltenham and Gloucestershire. Uh, And we've actually got a tent there, the Hustlers Honestly Unbalanced Tent, where we'll be hosting mini podcast episodes and there'll be talks from other guests as well. So maybe see some of you guys there. And of course, we have some little perks for you, as always. I've trying to get in shape again at the moment. I'm going through ups and downs. Uh, And for me, a good source of protein is key to getting into shape and a good source of supplements in general. And I've been using innermost protein uh, on and off for the last few years. The only reason I've ever gone off them is because a company's given me a pile of other stuff. <laughs> but when I'm buying it, I buy innermost protein. It's awesome. It's the best. Uh, and I, I love actually all of their supplements. I'm taking a lot of their lean stuff at the moment as I try and get in shape. And code ADAMH, all caps, hyphen 10, will get you 10% off. That's A-D-A-M-H, all caps, hyphen 10. We'll get you 10% off innermost stuff. And if you want some yoga to do, uh, not yoga to do. If you want a yoga mat to do some yoga on, then the best mats in the world are undoubtedly Lifeform yoga mats. They're a super ethical company. They're B Cup certified. Their mats are awesome. They're constantly releasing amazing new color editions. And code Hustler10, all caps, H U S L E R 10, will get you 10% off any of their mats. Or if there's any sales on, it will still get you a discount. It might not be 10%, but it might be an extra 5% if there's any sales on. And the other two brands I'm particularly loving at the moment are Colourful Standard and Vivo Barefoot. Colourful Standard are, as the name suggests, colourful clothing, but just solid colours. Good quality, core clothing. I love their like big baggy sweatshirt. And Adam Hustler CS10, all caps again, will get you 10% off their gear. And Vivo Barefoot, I haven't stopped wearing their trail shoes since I got them. Uh, Adam Hustler VB will get you 10% off barefoot shoes. And when you wear barefoot for a while, it's really hard to go back to normal shoes. I tried the other day because I wanted to look really cool for something. And yeah, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and of course, Holly and I have loads on offer all the time. Holly's got loads of sound healing trainings. We've got retreats coming up, one in Spain, coming up together in September. A few spots left for that. And we have our 
platform at thehustlers.com uh, or honestlyimbalanced.com and you can get 25% off that with code HONEST25. That features yoga, sound healing and lots more. I think it's time for you to listen to the episode now. Honestly Enjoy it, guys. Unbalanced. Right, the first thing I would love to know about you is about your engagement. Okay, so congrats, first and foremost. Yeah, okay, so it's a, it's a big stage. You've got a new house, new engagement. And I saw one of your posts and you talked about like I guess finding love was hard not in the sense of like finding a man was hard but being open to kind of receive that love was hard so I'd just love to start off with that like what what led you to be I guess comfortable in yourself enough to be ready to receive the kind of relationship you wanted to receive it's shame it's shame Holly couldn't be here for that because she loved this kind of conversation so I'm in a sense channeling Holly in this moment because this isn't the kind of thing I would normally ask (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's a great question actually and I she can listen back but basically my like so much of my own personal healing has been around love and my parents got divorced when I was six months and I haven't really ever had a close relationship with my dad and I just didn't really trust men I realized and I look back into my kind of previous relationships and I look back into my love stories until the, until recently and I just wasn't attracting because I didn't feel lovable and like my uh, the work that I've done was kind of realizing that my limiting belief growing up because there was this divorce was that I wasn't ultimately lovable by a man that I would meet people that weren't ready to properly love me. And I just genuinely would meet that, yeah, not great guys because they would be on their journeys. And I always believe that you find the mirror to where you are. And I kept meeting people that weren't going to love me properly or people that were going to cheat. And it wasn't until I kind of removed myself from a very toxic relationship and started my healing journey that I kind of saw what it was and that it actually wasn't really about the other people. It was that I didn't truly believe that I was lovable at the core of myself so I just went on a big healing journey for the last five years really about looking at how to find love within myself so that I didn't need the partner for that Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of learning the parts of myself that that I didn't like or that I didn't find lovable and sitting with them in meditation and sitting with them in in all kinds of healing experiences Um, until about three years ago or four years ago I was getting no three years ago I got to a point where I was like I actually like myself I like the person that I am at my core now I believe that this person could be loved in the world and then I started dating from that place and I met my partner like very soon into that dating journey when I was in that headspace um, and he had also been on a in a therapy journey as well and so we were just kind of met at a point where we were very open about our insecurities very open about ourselves and yeah we met just at the very right time in our lives I think um, and it's been a really beautiful unraveling of two insecure people finding security <laughs> in each other <laughs> I guess there's so many there's so many factors that play it's hard to pinpoint one isn't it because I guess part of it could be the meditation and the self-work part of it could just be that we all get older and we know what we want more and we don't tolerate and I think a value to both Holly and I've had this discussion having the bad relationships to some degree can if you are lucky enough to be able to escape them maybe escape is to a stronger word but if you're lucky to be able to realize and exit them before you are kind of two kids down and a mortgage together uh, but if you manage that then actually you are better placed to find the thing you really want maybe totally and you learn from every relationship i look back and i feel no kind of anger or any kind of like bad feelings towards any of the the people that I've been with because ultimately it was all like a learning curve of what I didn't want 
and what wasn't right and what I could see in myself in those relations being like, okay, I don't want that as I move forward. And I think, I also think when you, yeah, as you said, getting older, you just get much more aware of yourself and, and the ways that you can communicate in a healthier way that when you're younger, you just have no idea what you're doing. You're kind of stumbling around life. Um, and then, it, yeah, I, I, I guess meeting somebody in mid, your mid thirties is a, is a good place to start. One thing I wonder sometimes about kind of the self-love culture etc and i think it's a really good thing loving yourself is it a culture i don't know but you know i i think it's really important to love and value yourself but do you ever think it goes to some degree too far like it can become a bit narcissistic and a bit egocentric and you you get to a point where you almost feel i, I feel like the, what some people are putting on social media is if they're waiting for someone to come and worship them so i think yeah. that that that's one thing i see kind of in the social media ether is people actually becoming perhaps a bit narcissistic with self-love and they'll never find yeah. anyone that meets what they want. And then another thing I see perhaps is the devaluing of love and relationships. And people, you know, I don't need, I don't need a relationship. I'm good. I'm, I'm completely good on my own. We don't need that. Uh, you know, we don't need children. I'm not saying everyone should have children. I think children sh is, is a decision that should be made very in, uh, very formally and there's a really good book by the school of life which opens up it's about having kids and it opens up which it's not for everyone uh, okay uh but yeah so i believe to some degree there is a, a demeaning perhaps of love and relationships and family units i just wonder what your thoughts on that so i guess the two layers are the growing yourself up too big to mean that perhaps you'll never find someone that meets your expectations uh and then the other side as well and that if you don't find that person persuading persuading yourself that actually you didn't want it anyway and that love is not worth it yeah the building up of self-love is a really important is a really interesting one that i kind of my fear was the narcissist that was like again the people that i was attracting were very narcissistic and i think there's like two different personality types i think there's the the ones that feel like there's no self-worth there and it's about build and i think self-love maybe is is can be a complicated um wording to it it's more like self-worth mm. and self-value that actually if you focus on like the worthiness of how you feel it's not about ego and in fact I'm like it's not talking about any of the external and what you think it's like this feeling of just like I like I like being with myself in my own time it, for me it's like, like the journey should be an internal one rather than like an external how you present yourself in the world and what you're expecting other people from you it's like can you sit with yourself in silence for a long time mm. and not think that there's like deep levels of unworthiness in there um and i think when you focus on that it it can help get away from the narcissistic thing but i definitely resonate with what you're saying that there's a lot of culture out there which is like this self-love that gets to a point where you're like okay i need nobody else in my life i don't need i don't need a relationship because i don't need anybody and um, and does devalue what it is to be in in a unity with somebody and that can be i think even i had that a little bit in my past that i'd get to i was raised by a single mother who is who is the powerhouse and she's wonderful and she could do it all by herself we all can if we really want to if like you know if you you can build yourself up to be this superhuman but actually like do you want that and then it's a choice like do you really want that for for your life or do you want partnership and can you find this like beautiful connection with somebody and and I think that really should be valued because it's I think ultimately we most of us really do want that. And I think, you know, debatably, I think from an evolutionary perspective, we are designed not to be solo creatures. We, a part of us is designed to almost be part of a hive. And that, that was just part of human evolution. Let's talk something you mentioned there about being alone, being alone with yourself. 
And I guess a lot of yogis encounter it in Shavasana. And lots of yogis find that hard uh, for many reasons. Being you know, being still can be hard. Holly, actually, Holly and I had that chat the other day. And her idea potentially is that for some people, you know, being still in Shavasana, corpse pose, does make them think about death a little bit too much. And maybe actually that that's a factor for some people. Uh, for some people, it's just being alone with their thoughts. You know, Shavasana, although it's lots of people like it, it isn't that accessible. Like if you can't do it, you're stuck. Like there's no one's really guiding it. You're just like lying there really awkward for 10 minutes. So meditation, although it might seem at least a little bit less accessible than yoga, because most Western people are familiar with using their bodies. They go into a yoga class. Isn't that weird? But I think in many ways, meditation is more accessible than Shavasana. Uh, so perhaps you just talk a little bit about the value that you found or that you your clients find of just being alone and with themselves through through meditation. Yeah, and I think you're right also to, to acknowledge that being by yourself isn't an easy practice. And I think that's what puts a lot of people off starting in the first place. But the value of it is this the, the layers of getting to know yourself. And it can be really difficult at first. And, and I don't ever say, you know, anyone can sit down and, and just close their eyes and find this inner peace. It's, it's really not that. It's like being, I always say the definition of meditation is a practice of being with yourself. It's like what is actually happening and when we get to learn the insecure thoughts that arise when we get to learn the chatter of the brain that never stops or we get to learn what pops up in when we are fearful and we're lying in shavasana and we get to like something happens that really wants us to jump out of it it's being curious about that because when you have the awareness i then feel like you get this choice in your life so instead of living in this unconscious state where there's loads of busyness happening in you or like you really don't want to sit with yourself, but you just keep plowing through in the busyness. I think meditation and, and moments of stillness gives you this choice that actually, okay, I'm aware that the, this chatter is there. What if I just sit through it for this next minute and see what happens? It like gives you um, an alternative to the life that you're living if that life doesn't feel very fulfilling right now. And do you have like an elevator pitch? to persuade people to meditate that don't normally. So I know you've talked about your family who are kind of academics trying to persuade them. And I guess it maybe that's become easier now there is so much scientific research into the power and effects of meditation and so, so many statistics on how many CEOs of FTSE 100 companies meditate and are like. But what would be, do you have an elevator bit to persuade people quickly to actually embark on a meditation journey? I think we can really only speak from our personal experience in, in lots of ways. And for me, it completely changed my life. And I always say it's like having a superpower. It's like having a deep awareness of yourself that what I was just saying before that many of us don't have. And when you have it, and there's not one way to meditate, there's many different paths that you can learn and teach. But when you have this ability to find inner awareness and inner choice, your whole life begins to unravel and change because you're working from a conscious state rather than an unconscious state. And um, so I think the elevator pitch would be that there is a superpower that maybe you haven't experienced and science is backing it up now that it, you know, it's so good for our mental and physical health. Um, but actually you have to experience it to believe it for yourself. So it's like jump in and experience it. So I know on your energy rise website, you, uh, you've got like the five is it a five day trial yeah. uh to get pe to get people on on board how would you what would you advise people to do if they want to start meditation for the first time or do you think they should 
like be trying to do 60 minute sessions should they be going to the forest why what, you know, what does what do i guess what what would you advise anyone to do but i guess particularly reference the five days you offer like is that five days an intro or is it just jumping on the program that already exists so my ex- uh, the five day program is that you get every day you'll get a, an email with a meditation in it and that experiences different ways in different meditations because my whole ethos with energy rise is making meditation accessible and I believe that for each of us, it's going to be different. The Mm. the way into finding um, lots of people don't like being in stillness. Well, there's a movement meditation that you can do that actually allows you to be in movement where you're trying to find an awareness of self. Um, There's different breathing techniques that you can use that that really help you focus on one thing instead of feeling like you need to be in silence. Um, And so, yeah, finding a, a meditation that really works in your specific needs i'm working as well with with people with adhd at the moment and people whose attention span is really busy which a lot of ours are at the moment as well and knowing that there's there's a different practice that will work for each and every one of us um and yeah to not give up if you try once so the idea is that start short like five or ten minutes a day is enough to to start having quite a profound impact in your life um, and then you can develop your practice over time what was this, what was the style that you found initially um breath work and and body scanning i think the first ones that i did was yeah really focusing on counting the breaths um and finding different breathing techniques that allow you to be able to switch the focus inwards and then also just closing your eyes and scanning down from the top of your head all the way down to your toes and then back up Uh, and i found just having something quite concrete to focus on really helped me get into Mm. a meditative state that body scanning that was the first meditation i encountered when I was about 10 years old. I, d- I didn't know it was meditation at the time. I think my sister had read in some book that like army soldiers that are in war zones to help them get to sleep, they think about every part of the body, acknowledge it and then let it relax. You know, I was like a, a baby and I did it <laughs> every yeah. night for a while. I think it was, maybe it wasn't that, it must have been it meant more like when I was 11, because doing the 11, because there were definitely exams involved. So I think like doing 11 plus exams, and yeah, and that was my first ever style of meditation. How so. amazing that there was like that, like unknown to yourself, you're already kind of finding that little path. I was so disconnected from all of that stuff growing up. I was like, so like academic science. I mean, I wasn't, my family were, that like there was no sense of of like faith or anything that was like outside of what we kind of know, the structure of the very Western belief systems. But I, I feel that now, because obviously your, your background is you know, drama school and the like, and I feel that the people I know now that are in drama school, and you know, some I, I used to work with young people and I used to work with a drama school as well, and kind of seeing what the, those younger adults were exposed to or are exposed to, I feel that nowadays they're all into kind of alternative stuff. If anyone's going to go to like a yoga class or meditation class, it tends to be like the young actors and actresses and the like. Uh, they're always a karma yogis. And I guess was that not not around at all when you when you were younger? What was the alternative stuff that you guys were into? Was it more like just like Partying. drugs and punk and party? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going out and getting smashed was really what the whole. But you know what? I think the world's woken up to this stuff a lot. Like it's the thing in the last maybe five or seven years that actually maybe five years. Like I last time I went to LA, the whole place is like a wellness hub of like all different kinds of practices that are going on. So you're right. There's always a sense in creatives that they're looking for like 
something else to get really immersed in um and now it's wellness but before it was just debauchery <laughs> and yeah. people just like escaping themselves in any way that they could do you ever find though uh the spiritual bypassing let's talk to that a little bit and how that can appear because uh, you just talked about la and how like it's now like a disneyland of wellness yeah but i often find again sweeping generalization but many people in the wellness world kind of in the broader sense especially the ones who are more visibly in the wellness world so i'm talking again sweeping generalization <laughs> the chakra tattoos the beads everywhere uh <laughs> or yeah. like or constant positivity all the time on social media uh, <laughs> i find some sometimes with that there is there is lots of visible work being done but no true work no true self-development and if anything i've encountered it actually driving ego and coming back to narcissism driving narcissism and a putting of oneself on a pedestal so i i I guess the question is like, how have you have you encountered that? And is there anything you do as a, a wellness leader, a mindfulness leader, to kind of regulate yourself as well and keep ego down and make sure you've got, I guess, friends and family who you know will bring you back down to earth? Yeah, and I think I've seen it so much as well that the spiritual bypassing is is a huge thing, and I th I see it in lots of like classes and things when you go and you realise that people project a lot we all do right we project a lot of what we're going through into the spaces around us so if we're not checking in with ourselves a lot it's very easy to get caught in this kind of I am I've done this work on myself now I have some kind of alter power to then share with other people and I have an amazing body therapist who it's like therapy and body work at the same time and I feel like without having her is like a constant to go back to and to work with and kind of a energetic and spiritual level um that you guys it's also just like no you have to keep rebalancing yourself i think it's a really really important thing to keep to keep checking in with that um so yeah i definitely feel like constantly working on yourself is is so important particularly when you're then teaching other people and holding other people in in a space yeah it's uh... where you are yeah, it's a hard one. Let's talk talking about what you do now then meditation wise, as in not what you're teaching, but what you do to keep yourself, I guess, balanced and to help you continue to thrive. Like, is it still that same style of meditation? I know you've done some work with someone we had on the podcast recently, Dylan, uh, Ailu. Is Ailu? Yeah. I always forget how to say his name. Ailu. Yeah, Ailu. <laughs> so bad <laughs> as names. But like, what what is your focus now? You said you're working with people with ADHD. I guess what is your... Two, oh, twofold what's your professional focus in terms of learning and what is your personal practice looking like my personal practice is going into like really looking into my own intuition and trusting what i need every day and so that looks really differently i, I got i have gone through phases where i do the same practice over and over again because i feel like with repetition you get a deepening of experience um, and I did vipassana so a 10-day silent meditation retreat and I kind of kept that going for a while afterwards and now I've gone into a place where I really like sometimes I need a bit more, more movement sometimes I need stillness so I kind of wake up and do a, a daily check-in like what would be right now what I need am I feeling really lethargic and need a bit of energizing and maybe like dancing around for a minute could be a practice and there are other days where my mind's really busy I was like no I just need to fit in stillness so it's at the moment it's really like trusting my intuition and getting to a point where I'm listening to what the body is asking for rather than forcing myself to do a, a particular practice 
Um, and then in my work, it's very similar, actually. It's I've got a beautiful membership and I work one to one with people as well. Um, and the idea is really empowering people to get to the essence of what works for them. And, and even with the ADHD community I'm working with as well, it's like finding that there isn't one size fits all. And so it's how you can I, I can offer as much as I can in as many different kinds of practices to give people the empowerment to realize like, okay, this practice really works for me in this day and it might not work for me tomorrow. Mm. And it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to follow your kind of natural guidance rather than finding one person that has all the answers or one practice that has all the answers. It's like keep exploring, keep mm. curious about what is working for you in each moment. Um, and so I think, yeah, I guess they kind of interlink my personal and professional, but that's the ultimate is to get people to connect back to their intuition and trust themselves and their bodies. I like I like the idea of having like multiple styles. I think it's that's really important for everyone. And I, I encourage my students of yoga to have that, to have multiple teachers that you resonate with that offer you something different. But, and, you know, to, tra- to practice different movement modalities. But there is a caveat to that, I think that for you to do truly deep work you need to at least commit to a few to go like if you want to be good at you know have have a deep transcendental meditation practice you can't just do it once a week whilst doing seven other styles of meditation you need to commit you need to commit to a few to actually do any kind of deep work and i guess that's the same with anything with friendships with relationships with jobs with hobbies if you want to be good and you want to build and have that deep meaningful connection with that thing you do need to put the time in, don't you? Absolutely. But I think that it's like more at the beginning when you're first exploring yeah. it, there's this, there's such a feeling of like, I tried it once and it didn't work for me. Like I met this one teacher and I did it and it felt very yeah. unaligned. And, and so I was like, okay, yoga's not for me or meditation is definitely not for me. I couldn't do it in that session. So I, I left it. And so my, I guess it's at the beginning entry point, which is like, just if it didn't work for you, know that there's many other practices. And then when you find one that resonates, go deep. I a hundred percent agree with you. It's like, it's so important to sit like without doing my Vipassana and, and like sitting in for, you know, 10 hours a day in silence for 10 days. And you get to a point where you're like, I don't want to be here. This is horrible. This is painful. My mind is going crazy. I'm seeing all of these like horrible thoughts play out in my mind. And then you sit through it for another day and you have these huge breakthroughs and this like amazing experience of the depths of yourselves. Then you realize like, okay, if I hadn't have stuck with that, if I didn't go deeper into Mm. this one practice, I would never have learned the lesson. So I think you're totally right. Like find something and and stay with it until you feel you've learned that lesson. And as you kind of alluded to there, things like meditation and yoga are very non-prescriptive. Like if you were to do ballet, of course there's variation, but you ca- you kind of know what a ballet class might look like to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you know, there is certain form that people follow. But with something like vinyasa yoga, it can be so different. Like, like dramatically different. I like, look like completely different modality depending on the kind of class and teacher you go to, which is more reason to actually explore i guess not just styles but different facilitators teachers within those styles just to, to see you know cause something like meditation as well it's so personal it's the voice is so important uh, like what's he called the headspace guy who's now left headspace i believe uh i think he left recently but his voice is quite niche but still nonetheless he's quite his brummy i think his brummy with a slight lisp which kind of gave me a little bit of hope uh, <laughs> at one point but but he has the, the perfect in fact we'll come on to kind of voice for meditation in a second the one thing i, I want to mention or to ask you about before we lose track of it was you mentioned the idea of listening to your body asking what your body needs in the morning and i love the idea of that in a basic sense i believe in it but i find it really hard like both of us have described 
negative relationships we'd have had in the past. But at the time, our body was saying to some degree, or maybe we just weren't attuned to our body enough, but we're staying, stay with them. And, you know, if I, if I really listen to my body, I will just say, you don't need to exercise. You know, vitamin D is more important. It's a sunny day, just lie in the sun. And it would probably do that for the whole summer. Like, don't go to the gym, vitamin D. Or in the evening, you know, don't go to the gym, just have some wine. Wine's good for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it's how can people... Either, I guess the first question is how can they trust what their body is saying and what is a fit is the issue that our body is lying to us uh is it our body is it our mind whatever but is is it our body lying to us you know, saying when you just have that sugary treat that's what you need or is it just that we're really not in tune or is it that we need to use the signals from the body and interpret those signals with an analytical thinking mind, which is kind of my view. Is that yeah, do you interesting? <laughs> yeah, I completely follow it. Um, I believe that ultimately we're just not very in tune with our body, and that's a lot of that stuff is the mind. A lot of that stuff is is the mind trying to convince us that it's what we want. And I look back at and I use like my previous relationships for this. My mind was saying, you know, this is exactly the life that I wanted. And this is exactly what I viewed my life to look like. So therefore, I'm happy in this environment. My body was screaming. Otherwise, like I look back, I got super skinny. I wasn't eating. Mm. But like my body was telling me in those moments, get the hell out, like something's not right. And my mind was saying, you're happy. Look at this lovely friendship set. Like it was I I now know that there was that huge disconnect and the same way it's like you know sometimes the body does want a glass of wine and that's also okay but a lot of the things that like feel really unhealthy that sometimes is the mind playing games and when you deeply connect to your to your body and you start to really understand like where the gut is coming from rather than the mind it often gives you a different question. And if there's even like an internal dialogue, which is like, do I want this? I'm not sure. For me, that's always a sign that it's the mind. And the, when I when I hear my body, it's like this definite, like this is the answer, do it. And mm. so really for me, it feels like a very different internal dialogue. Not that I'm always connected to it at all. For me, it's a constant practice that I pop in and out of. But I really think that like, often that like the unsure voice inside is often the mind trying to make sense of things and how did you work out that like how did you work out or become more attuned to it yourself was it just through meditation do you think or was there a style of meditation that helped you understand your body a little bit more interpret it better it was really yoga that started actually for me the process of feeling my body through a physical practice and and I think I hadn't realized before that so I started my journey about five and a half six years ago and I ha I was always the person that was fine I was like known as the fine girl and when things were chaotic in my life um everyone would be like are you sure you're okay and I'd be like I'm fine and I felt like it was almost this badge of honor to be able to not feel that strongly and to hold it so all. English <laughs> so English absolutely and then when I went through like a of my kind of 30 year old crisis and breakup and, and I started doing yoga for the first time I actually started feeling like pains in my body and it was like sometimes the discomfort of a pose would be like oh my gosh I've never like felt that and stayed with it before and it started teaching me this like new way of being in my own experience that was like oh wow like okay so when somebody says hold this pose for a few more seconds I mean not if you're in agony obviously but there was like this this playing with discomfort that I'd never done before. And the more I stayed with it and things started to release 
um, I did start to learn, like, actually, there's a dialogue that your body tries to communicate to you that I just wasn't listening to before. Um, and then I did Vipassana, and that was even more of like an initiation, which is is body scanning as well, but mm. staying really slowly with each part of the body. And after eight days of doing that, your body basically has a dialogue that starts speaking to you, which is really fascinating. I think it's so important to do do things that make you suffer to some degree. Because I think like life is full of inevitable suffering. Uh, dukkha. In, in Buddhism, you know, life, life is funny, and and all of us are going to encounter it. You know, people we love will die, <laughs> and and so many other things will happen through our lifetime. And that so life isn't easy, but in many ways life has become easy on a day to day basis. And I think what will make the the big suffering easier and more manageable is to actually make sure we choose to suffer. Sometimes that could be through running marathons through Vipassana retreat, through holding a yoga pose. And that that is the practice. That's what we always say to people in yoga. Like, if you just move fast and have fun, that's lovely. That's nice. But there's so many other ways to have fun in the world. Let's just be in this static pose. Hold it, experience it, acknowledge the fact we don't want to be there. And that's yeah. where the learning will happen. And that's the difference between, I guess, the, the school of yoga, the learning of yoga, and the fun time of, a, of, a, of what a yoga class could be. And maybe, just thinking out loud, that's why meditation is also a little bit harder for people. Because people can persuade themselves to go to yoga because it's fun. In fact, I was in a sauna yesterday at Try Yoga. And I was overhearing some students talk about, oh, that class wasn't that fun. I didn't enjoy myself so much. And maybe, I don't know the class. But it's interesting that that's what they were looking for. Fun and happiness and joy. Yeah. But I think, this, I think the suffering... <laughs> it's so so yeah. important and you, yeah as you said as i was just going to say meditation it can never be fun like, no one ever really thinks oh i'm going to go to that meditation class for fun but you can persuade yourself to do yoga because it could be fun and that's a difference yeah and also as you say like it suffering is inevitable um or like pain is inevitable and suffering no, I don't always believe in this, but like, yeah, pain is always going to happen in your life. But or, but if you can stay with it, this this thing of like what we always tend to do in life often is that there is a painful situation and we try and we try and divert away from it. And it's the same thing around like things like grief when we experience grief in our life. There isn't really ways in the Western world to explore what that is to sit with it very long. It's almost like we give people permission for two or three four weeks to, to grieve and then everyone has to be fine again because mm. we don't really know how to talk about it and so what yoga and meditation yeah for me has been this lesson of what happens if you feel it and you like, move through it rather than try and like swerve away from it and you sit in the discomfort and whether that is when you feel anxious in your day-to-day -day life or whether there's a physical pain that arises or an emotion that you don't want to be feeling what if for once you didn't avoid it and you just sat with it and meditation kind of teaches you a, a practice and a toolkit that allows you to do that and still feel safe so that you can move through that and experience like oh my gosh i'm strong enough to feel this emotion now and not have to keep bypassing it so that when it reoccurs in your life you realize that it's actually not going to break you mm. and having that skill set is so is just so useful for life in general. It doesn't need to be just the big moments of suffering. When someone pushes in front of you in a queue, uh, <laughs> for like it can it can be useful there. And I and and all we have to do is look on the internet and like look at it's some Instagram reels or a like to see how people respond to the world around them yeah. and how reactive people can be and how people can't regulate their emotions. And you know, as a father to a young son, 
you know, realizing that for the first few years of his life, you know, it's my job basically to regulate his reaction to the world. He can't do it. It's my job through my reaction to things to regulate how he responds. And it's, yeah, it's just that I think that is a problem with the modern world. We, we don't know how to regulate what we feel and we don't know yeah. how to see things as they are. And all we can do is react. And, you know, to react is, is instinctive. But what we tend to do is hold on to that reaction and just keep it going and keep it churning. We don't take that pause to actually breathe through it. But there's no education around it, right? Like, mm. how would we know? Because, you know, growing up, growing up in, in London and growing up in, I mean, just the very kind of British thing that we were laughing at. But it, but it is a thing. Like, we just don't have dialogue around emotions and how to deal with things when they occur, particularly when they feel more challenging. And, and there is this, like, stiff up belief that whether we know it or not, it's kind of inbuilt in us. And so we feel like it's really uncomfortable to be able to sit in in different kind of emotions and i think it, i'm so glad that we're moving into an area an era where this stuff is being spoken about and that like we can you know come onto podcasts and talk about it but also just day to day even with my friends i can hear that the dialogue's changing and that people are like actually okay to sit in in an emotion that doesn't feel that that comfortable mm. and to think about the old english thing as well i think yeah it was it's not useful to be like it's fine all the time that's kind of always always been me as well it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine but in a way i think what protected society in some sense was manners and the 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 british people's desire to not be awkward to not offend anyone to not complain uh that and politeness that all, almost regulated things a little bit uh and i think nowadays people i think there is a, there is people who are trying to be more aware but maybe due to social media or like maybe due to the business of the world as we said people are reactive more but there is nothing to regulate it if anything thanks to social media it's spreading more and people are learning their behavior from what they see other people do or don't do on social media and i wonder meditation we talked about la you know la is like again the disneyland of of wellness but there is you know there's lots of wealth in LA, lots of kind of monetary wealth that supports the Disneyland of wellness. And I wonder how can we get meditation and these conversations? I'm sure both of us are in a bit of a bubble, uh, both through work and through friendships and alike. Uh, we're, you know, we're in we're in a bubble. But how can we help people that don't normally access this, access it? And I, you know, part of me thinks, you know, again, working with young people, like disadvantaged young people, we like this is. 10 years ago all of us knew the foods that were good to eat but nonetheless the only foods these young people really had access to was like chicken and chips and sweets and fanta from the local shops uh and i, I think meditation and mindfulness is kind of the same thing to some degree in that i know i know this free resource out there uh more than there was like a free good quality food <laughs> 10 years ago yeah. but it's still hard for them to reach reach that so what what, what are your thoughts on that and that it's so important and it kind of needs to start at school. There's so much like scientific proof that having a little bit of like meditation and mindfulness in the classroom makes people's concentration go up. It gets makes people more compassionate to themselves and each other. And so I really think like it really starts from somehow bringing this into schools. And I think particularly post-COVID and, and kids having the hardest time. I mean, we all mm. suffered for, you know, two years being locked down, but we had a lot of like life experience before lockdown knowing what normal was and a lot of kids at so many different vital ages in their lives had that like taking 
think in a way there's so much more anxiety amongst kids. So I think there almost needs to be something government down that is like this stuff and people's mental health has to be put somehow in the curriculums at school so that people get it as mm. much. You know, I don't know the answer, but I, I really feel like it would be such an improvement to yeah for kids to learn particularly breathing just like a few simple breathing techniques mm. that regulate your nervous system could be a kind of game changer for kids i think i agree and i think there's no need to kind of infanticize it either uh and, and i think that happened a lot with yoga in certain schools like it was made like oh let's just jump on a surfboard and pretend we're in a warrior too and our former guest called naomi uh she teaches kids yoga and she's taught it at her kids school and her kid was like, why are, you, why are you not teaching proper yoga? What's this silly, stupid stuff you're teaching us? <laughs> and so she started there and actually developed a program teaching children like ser- serious yoga. And I think that's, uh, I think, yeah, I think it's so important. And of course, we can't access everyone socially. You know, the, the Instagram algorithm and the like is going to give people more dramatic, more horrific stuff. That is, <laughs> uh, so it's not going to reach through that. It has to be almost compulsory. And I guess schools are the only way. To, yeah. to enable it to enable it to reach people let's talk a little bit about uh kind of how you came into it all because your background is acting uh are, are you still are you still acting no but i was speaking about this to somebody the other day actually how like i kind of when i came out of acting i started and i started energy rise i felt like dropping definitions is a really important thing like the idea that we mm-hmm. define ourselves so much through what we do and we're like I'm more the actor and for years for you know most of my life I started auditioning when I was 10 years old and I and I you know changed into this career in my 30s and so there was a long time where like being the actor felt so much a part of who I am and then when I speak to everybody else in different careers they also feel that like that their career is a lot of about who they are mm. and when I went through that transition from from starting the business and I was like what if we don't have to define ourselves or make big decisions like I either definitely do this and I do this or I only do this and not this and can we not just be the person that we are that does everything that we love so I don't act at the moment and I, I kind of the the further distance I have from it the less appealing it is to me um for many reasons one one the kind of instability of work going up and down like a yo-yo all the time and mm. um, and secondly i was doing it going back to that kind of my limiting beliefs about myself but i was doing it because i needed validation because ultimately i didn't feel very worthy in the world and and the more i've been able to sit in practices that make me feel okay i don't need that so much from my career to to fill that part of me up anymore um and so that that switched it for me. So I, I don't act at the moment. Long winded answer to that, but um, it's, I wouldn't say that I never would again. It's, no, that's a really good. I used to actually start the podcast because of the kind of guests we have on, and be like, "What kind of what? What are your nouns? <laughs> like, what are you?" Because there's so many people, as you say, do so many different things, and I think that's wonderful. And to be fair, though, I would want my like heart surgeon. Hopefully, I never need a heart surgeon. But I'd want my heart surgeon to not also do some acting on the side and be like, <laughs> yeah. be, be like you know, a part-time photographer. I'd want them to mainly do heart surgery. <laughs> so I think there's swings and roundabouts there. But I agree that actually the modern economic climate means we can be multiple different things. Uh, when yeah. We can hustle, especially if you're self-employed. Uh, and it's, you know, again, it's not viable for everyone. The only... And I'm, I had this conversation, this is from Andrea, like about 20 years ago, when I was working for another kind of youth development charity and about why do we ask people what career they have? Why do we say that as a first thing? And my view at the time was, well, it's if someone says they're a lawyer, you don't know everything about them, 
but you can infer a lot of stuff about their life decisions. So you can get an idea of the kind of place they might live, the decisions they've made to get them there, the kind of family that might come from their values, how much free time they have. But now I know people more and more. I think it is. it, it doesn't tell you that much at all. It, it really yeah. doesn't. And I, my, I trained as a lawyer. You know, my view is that so, you know, so many lawyers might be unhappy. And it's like, it doesn't tell you, you. You don't get to know that from them. You don't know what they need and what they want in life. Uh, but I don't know what the other answer is. But, and that's the thing. Like, yeah. What would be the next question? Because I, I went through a big thing like that. It's like I, after I went through that like unraveling for myself and being like, okay, so if I don't define myself at parties like if you don't say to oh, people yeah. very quickly like what who uh, what do you do like what would be that question that is the in into like getting to know somebody on a deeper level without it being like very deep and meaningful very mm. quickly but like what do you say like how are you feeling people are always going to be like i'm fine but it's hard oh, yeah. to know what that question is <laughs> i feel that i i did what i did listen to a podcast with someone it was i forget the name of the guy it was on chris williamson's modern wisdom podcast uh chris was one of our former guests and it was this guy who just was really bad at social situations and over the 20 years made himself really good. And I wish I could remember. One of the talking points was, what do you say to people beyond just asking what their job is? And I've completely forgot what the answer is. So dig out that oh, podcast. you're going to have the answer listeners. there. <laughs> yeah, if you can. But yeah, I, and this is why I am like socially quite introverted. Like when I have a role, I'm really good. Like if I'm teaching 400 people, I'm cool. If I'm in charge of an event, I'm cool. If you say to me, like, Adam, you need to go to this event and mingle, I hate it. Because I just don't know what to say without being, bo- you know, being boring. I don't do small talk. I went to a press event. It wasn't a press event. I was getting, it was quite a big brand that I was working with and I've done some work with through the years and there were some quite big people there. And I just literally just got a Guinness and just sat in the corner and just couldn't, and then, and then like made a few phone calls outside. I just couldn't, I just awful at it. So what, how were you in these kind of situations? And I guess part of your previous career or semi-pausing career has been, you had to be kind of good at that. And a big part of what you do now, I guess, especially because you, a lot of your work is not in studios and like it is you doing your thing. How, yeah, how would you cope with those situations? I kind of struggle these days, actually, as well. Like, I think that I used to be better at having the mask on. And that, as you said, it was kind of part of the career. And I realized that, like, the reason I, I loved acting was, yes, for the creativity of absolutely. But often you could have this, like, mask of, like, I'm playing this character and I can be in this space talking about that and no one really needs to see me in it. And that felt much more comfortable. And then I guess now it's like I – what I – always doing what my mum has always like taught me to do actually and something that I love is I'm genuinely fascinated with people and who they are and what they're about and so my my instinct is to go in and just ask like people about what they love and and make it much more about trying to like connect with people in that way but I find still social situations can be quite uh like big groups I Mm. can find quite overwhelming because I'm kind of like you I find more and more small talk gets challenging for me. And I and I hate that because I want to sometimes just be the really like playful one that can go in into a situation. But sometimes I get, um, yeah, I struggle in that environment too. And I guess, I guess with people in our line of work to some degree, we like the deeper conversations. Like, I love one-to-one. I'd happily have like a two hour one-to-one with someone walking through the woods. But in these social situations, you know it's finite. You know that you want to speak to in for like two, three minutes and one of you is going to go. Then the whole thought of how do we get out the conversation? 
how do you make the exit? Is someone going to say something? Is there an announcement soon? You know it's finite, so you know you can't really get that deep. Uh, So I guess for me, if I'm going to go to those events in future, it's bring my baby or bring a dog. I borrow a dog (laughs) or just bring a son. (laughs) Babies are the perfect excuse for like not going to things or like leaving early. It's really, uh, it's really wonderful. Noted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so I wanted to talk about nature a little bit. So you were in Vikings, which is shot. Like, I didn't realize. And then, then I was like, oh, it clicked this morning. I was like, oh yeah, because I, I did watch that service. That surveys. <laughs> it all clicked. But you were in really beautiful nature. I'm guessing, although you probably know how, you were still surrounded by nature. Did, did, do, does that help you move to somewhere now with more nature? How does that affect mindfulness for you? I know the obvious answer is nature is good for mindfulness, but what's been your interaction with it? Oh, it's hugely important for me. I, again, when I was filming and kind of when I was in that headspace, I did. I was very unaware of, of that. Although we all know, I think, that you go to the beach and you just stare out at the ocean and there's something about being in like a vast, expansive space that allows you to just feel calmer. And people often say like, oh God, I just feel so relaxed when I'm by, by the ocean or when you go for a walk through the forest. And without knowing it, I think nature has this like natural rhythm that if you surround yourself in it, it almost pulls you back into it. Mm. Um, I feel in the last few years, and I think people realized it through lockdown as well. There's something so amazing when you connect to nature and that you like, you watch the seasons change. And I was in Bali last week and I, one of the places we stayed was right in the jungle. And there was this, like a few days, it went from like crazy storms into being really beautiful and sunny. And I was just watching the jungle um, and meditating. And I, I was I had a bit of jet lag and I was waking up at like four or five in the morning and just sitting outside and watching. I was like, God, oh, there's so much that we can learn from watching nature. There's so much, like so many parallels that, you know, it the roots are so grounded in all of the trees. And yet there can be these crazy crazy storms and then it gets into beautiful sunlight and somehow it still feels calm and like can we learn stuff that is that same thing like how do we learn practices that make us feel so rooted in ourselves that no matter what happens around us what storms are coming Mm. we still can bring ourselves back to feeling like very rooted and safe in the middle of all of it so I think for me like nature teaches if we stop and pause and watch it nature we don't have to do anything to feel that like it's teaching us some kind of calming lesson i think do you think it also kind of makes us feel small in a good way like i i find it makes it puts everything into context and i i get that in jungles and alike but often if a jungle is dense i don't get it so much mm-hmm. but like standing on the edge of a hill being able to see the ocean being able to see the stars which i guess is quite rare in the uk now it makes you think you know all of your worries all those little things that go on in your life are really actually insignificant in the scheme of things, you know, the fact yeah. that someone didn't answer your email in the scheme of the universe is irrelevant. So I think that's actually really important for us to be exposed to things that make us seem small. And that's yeah. what you don't get in a big city, do you? You don't you don't get that in a in, in a big city. You know, a lot of the people I know never get to see nature, never see the stars. You know, the furthest thing they probably see is the other side of the River Thames. And yeah. there's, a, there's a real danger in that. Yeah, well, that is exactly that, like the beautiful insignificance that you feel when you're staring, like particularly, at, and I think when there's an ocean in front of you and you can just see like almost the curve of the earth around the edge of the, the like where the ocean kind of cuts off and you just realise like, wow, we really are a tiny little speck of sand in this huge universe. I think it's such a a healing realisation to have that um, you're right, cities kind of, it's like your next thing is usually a grey wall that you're looking at. 
Um, and it doesn't often allow you to escape what is happening inside of you because it almost keeps keeps your focus inwards rather mm. than outwards. Can I, can I read something? Actually, it just reminded me, this, someone many years ago wrote a blog called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Uh, mm. This would have been 15 years ago. And I remember I saved, oh no, it posted 10 years ago. I've just got it up now. And he created words that were missing from the English language and gave them kind of poetic meanings. And this one word, I think people have used it now for different things. I think there's a hotel called it in London, called Sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R. And his definition is, the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of lives that you'll never know existed in which you might appear only once with an extra sipping coffee in the background uh, as a blur of traffic passing on the highway or as simply a lighted window at dusk. And that, in the absence of a mountain (laughs) and a like, that passage I think really does a wonderful job at making you feel small in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah beautiful where did you say you found that uh so it's called uh i could send you a link after so i'll put it in the show yeah. notes for listeners it's called the diction if you type in sonder s-o-n-d-e-r fairly high up the google will be the dictionary of obscure sorrows amazing i'll check it out yeah. that's really beautiful that's nice isn't it i wish i could say mm. i wrote it maybe i will maybe I'll edit it so <laughs> and so we'll do a little quick fire now because we've been, we've been talking for for uh a little while so first one in three words what would you like to your wedding to to look like or encapsulate oh um love connection nature cool what is meditation wise is there any kind of mantra saying quote that you use to put yourself in a good place say i teach this and for myself but at the end of a quite a serious meditation practice i always just say to people to say to themselves i am bloody brilliant and there's something (laughs) about those words that like everyone smiles like just has like a little they're kind of like joyful little words that i think uh, uh, bring you back into a place within yourself and where can people find you and what have you got going on? I've got lots of, I've got a full moon retreat at the end of April. I've got um, lots of different, I've got my Energy Rise membership, which is always running a beautiful community, Energy Rise meditation app. Um, and I'm doing all the festivals um, in London this this summer, about eight or nine of them. So I will be very present. All of them, literally well. all of them, all 100% of them. Not all of them, of them. but many, <laughs> but lots of them. And I, I love festivals. I really love connecting. I feel like after lockdowns, it's been such a, everyone's gone so inwards and it's so nice to be able to come back and, and to kind of be with people again in person. Are you so at Soul excited. Circus? Could they announce that? I am, yeah. Okay, so we'll see you there. I think we might actually, yeah. uh, we might stay there this time. I've always just gone in and out. To be fair, last year Holly was about to give birth, so it was it was very much drive as fast as I can to the festival and turn around again. <laughs> Stay. It's a really we had a really good like dance. We did some yeah kid down and then just all ended up singing and dancing all evening. It was lovely. Awesome. And then what's your Instagram? Maud Hurst. Perfect. Lovely. Thank you so much for the chat. It's uh, it's been wonderful. It's been lovely to connect. Thank you so much for having Honestly me. Honestly, unbalanced.